I'd like to begin this morning by giving you the plot to a, well, it's probably a pretty famous story, and I want to see if you can tell me the main character. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Here's the plot. After her father dies unexpectedly, this young lady finds herself at the mercy of her cruel stepmother and stepsisters. Okay, don't yell it out. Let me finish the plot. Okay? Hold on. I worked really hard on this. Despite her difficult circumstances, she refuses to despair. One day, this young lady meets a handsome young prince in the woods and receives an invitation to the palace ball, but her stepmother prevents her from going. However, help arrives in the appearance of a kindly older woman who magically makes a way for this young woman to attend the palace ball. And of course, that young woman is Cinderella, absolutely. And I believe that we actually have a picture Yes, of Cinderella at the ball with Prince Charming. And if you've seen the Disney version of the movie, you know there's this really beautiful song that Cinderella sings, a dream is a wish your heart makes. A dream is a wish your heart makes. And Cinderella dreams of how her life can actually be different. Now, here's another plot from a true story that was made into a major motion picture. Are you ready? I want you to guess the main character from the plot that I give you. Here's the plot. During the Great Depression, this ex-boxer works as a day laborer until his former manager offers him a one-time shot against a rising young contender. After he wins a shocking upset, this boxer goes back into the ring full-time against the wishes of his frightened wife. He eventually finds himself fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world and discovers that sometimes dreams really do come true. Does anybody know the name of the movie? Here we go. I'm trying to advance the slide because I want to show you the picture. Here we go. You guys, I guess, I don't know what the deal is with the clicker this morning, but let's try it again. There we go. All right. Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man. And, of course, that's the true story of the boxer James J. Braddock, um, who overcame all these odds and became the heavyweight champion of the world. Now, today, we're beginning a church-wide spiritual adventure called Time to Dream. Open doors to your future. Now, throughout the Bible, doors are often used as a metaphor. You know, a door can represent an opportunity where God opens a door and he invites you to walk through it. It's a gateway to something that God wants to have you do in your life. Sometimes God opens a door to a career or to a relationship or to a responsibility. Um, we know that God not only opens doors, he does what? He can close doors. And sometimes God closes a door because he wants to reroute us. He wants us to go in a new direction. Sometimes God closes doors to protect us. Now, our key verse for this 40-day adventure is from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where Jesus says this, when I open a door, no one can close it. And when I close a door, no one can open it. Now think about that for just a minute. That is such a powerful statement. It reminds us of who's in charge of our lives, doesn't it? Because when you're pursuing God's purpose for your life, who's opening and closing doors for you? God is. And so during the next 40 days, we're going to look at six different doors that God wants us to walk through. And the first door is this, the door to a new you. The door to a new you. I read a story um, this week, and it goes like this. A middle-aged woman had a heart attack and was taken to the hospital. While on the operating table, she has a near-death experience. She sees God 
and ask, is this it, God? Am I dying? And God reassures her that she has another 30 years to live. So during her recovery, she decides to stay in the hospital and have a complete makeover. She has a facelift, some other cosmetic surgery. She has somebody come in and cut and color her hair. The day the doctors release her, she walks out of the hospital only to be hit by a speeding ambulance. She finds herself standing before God and complains, hey God, I thought you said I had another 30 years. And God replies, um, I'm really sorry, um, but you changed so much I didn't recognize you. There is a point to the story, and the point is this. Does God want us to change? Absolutely, but where does he want us to change? On the, on the inside. God is always wanting us to be changed on the inside. And when you think about it, when Jesus comes to our world, he comes not just as a savior, he comes as a teacher. And the primary purpose of his teaching is not to give us more and more rules to live by. His primary purpose is the transformation of the human heart by reconnecting us to God. Now, please take a look at this first statement on your outline. It says this, when I dream about the person I could be, I want to become more. Now, just stop for a minute and think about that. When I dream about the person that I could become, I want to be more, what are, what are some things that come to mind? And you can just yell them out. You want to be more what? More nice, okay, good, okay. And the bottom line is you want to be more like Jesus, but specifically, you would like to be more, more generous. Good. What are some other thoughts? More what? More patient? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a dangerous one to ask for, isn't it? Because <laughs> when you ask God to make you patient, what kind of people does he often put you with? People that test your patience. But it's good that we would want to become more patient. Now, other things. I want to become more authentic. Well, that's a good word. Yeah, we want to be real. Um, Okay, other words, we want to become more open, more open. Now, let's flip that around, okay? When I dream about the person I want to become, I want to become less, less negative, okay? Less selfish. Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? I want to become less, less judgmental. Great. And you know, there's so many things that we could say, right? Less proud less cynical, less mean. Here's the thing. I hope this morning, I really, really hope this morning that as we talk about this door to a new you, that you have some dreams of the person that you want to become. I know it's true for me. You know, I, there are things in my life that I really want God to work on and change. And I was thinking about it this week. You know, as a church family, um, this is something that really affects us. What kind of church do we want to become? You know, more generous, more loving, more kind, and less, and all those other things, right? Now, the question is, how does that really happen? I mean, how does change take place in the human heart? And we could spend weeks and weeks talking about this, but I want to give you sort of the Reader's Digest version today. I want to distill this into a framework that's, that's simple, it's practical, and it's biblical. Because change involves God's part and our part. So let's begin by looking at three tools that God uses to change us. And if you're, one of our, um, if you're in one of our small group studies, this is what you're going to be studying this week. So this is kind of the, um, the trailer for your Bible study this week in your small group. But here's the first tool that God uses to change us, the tool of truth. The tool of truth. Jesus one time made this really audacious statement. He was teaching and he said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah. 
Free to, to do what, Jesus? Free to become the person that God created you to be. Now, where do you find truth? Well, one of the primary sources of truth is where? It's in God's book. It's in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says this about itself. All Scripture is inspired by who? Yes, not just human writings. It's inspired by God. And notice this. It's useful to teach us what is, what's the first word? What's true? And to make us realize what's wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, the truth in this book has changed countless lives. The truth in this book has changed my life in so many ways. It's changed me in remarkable ways. But how does that actually happen? I mean, if you just read the Bible, are you automatically changed? What's the answer, church? No. You can't just read the book and go, oh, wow, I'm, I'm okay now, right? There are things we have to do to engage with God's truth. And the first is this. We have to accept the authority of God's word. And you'll have to write that down, okay? Accept the authority of God's word. Now, why is that important? Because we all have things that we accept or reject when it comes to who calls the shots in our lives, right? Now, some people would say, you know, if you ask me, you know, what is the authority for my life? It's the opinions of other people. Of course, that's often tough because those opinions do what? They always change. Some people would say, well, the authority for my life um, is uh, the values of culture. Now, again, that's really tough because cultural norms and cultural values are always in flux. In fact, man, you just think about what's happening in the cultural landscape of this country. I mean, it's, it's a mess. And, and sometimes people might say, well, you know what? I'm going to be the authority for my life. I'm going to call the shots. But if Scripture is going to change us, if the truth is going to transform us, we have to accept the authority of God in his word. We have to submit ourselves to God. Now, here's the second thing that has to happen. We have to assimilate the truth of the Bible. It has to become part of us. It has to become a part of the way that we think. Why? Because your thoughts determine your emotions, and your thoughts and your emotions determine your behavior. So if you really want to be changed, you have to accept the authority of God's word, then you have to assimilate the truth of God's word, and the third thing is this. You have to apply the principles of God's word. So accept the authority, assimilate the truth, and apply the principles. You know, and Jesus was really clear about this. There's a, a passage in the Bible that's found in Matthew's gospel. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gets to the end of the sermon, and he says this. Whoever hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house where? On the rock. And when the storms hit, that house stood strong. And then Jesus says, but the person who hears my words, hears my teaching and does not put it into practice, like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and when the storm hit, that house totally collapsed. And so Jesus is clear, listen, if you want to have a firm foundation for your life, you have to accept the authority of my word, you have to assimilate its truth, and you have to apply its principles. So that's the first tool that God uses, the tool of truth. Here's the second tool that God uses, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, we know the Bible says there's one God, but this God exists in how many persons? Three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Scripture says in Philippians. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, if you're going to change, if you're going to consistently do what pleases God, you need a power greater than yourself. And who provides that power? God through his Holy Spirit. Now, church, this is really important. This verse is written to Christians. 
people who have decided to follow Jesus. And here's why that's so important. If you think about the door to a new you, the first thing you have to do to step through that door is decide to follow Jesus. You have to embrace both the bad news and the good news of the gospel. And I think we're pretty conversant with the bad news. And the bad news has to do with what? With her heart. That we have a heart that pulls us away from God's purpose and God's plan. I mean, why did Jesus focus his teaching on the transformation of our hearts? Because our hearts need to be changed. And what the Bible says is that your heart is like a, it's like a car that's out of alignment. You ever have a car that was out of alignment, you take your hand off the wheels, and what happens? It goes to the left, it goes to the right, it just shakes. Well, see, that's a picture of our hearts, that, that we just kind of pull to the left and pull to the right. We, we lead the path that God wants us to follow, because God says, listen, the path that I want you to pursue is to love me with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, and we don't. We end up in the ditch, because we don't love the way that God tells us to, and there's a word for this. It's a, a really important theological word has three letters with a big I in the middle. What is it? Sin. Sin. I'm going to do what I want to do, not what you ask me to do or tell me to do, God. And our sin separates us from God because God's holy and we're not. And because God's just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And here's where the bad news gets even worse. We can't do anything to rescue ourselves. We're helpless to rescue ourselves. And when you read this book, when you read the truth of God's word, there are Two words that change everything, and here are the two words, but God. I love those words, but God. There's a, a beautiful verse, it's Ephesians 2, verse 4, it says, but God, who is so rich in mercy and loved us so much, even though we were spiritually dead in our sins, he gave us life. See, God intervened. God did something so that we could be forgiven. And that's what the cross is all about. It's about Jesus leaving his home in heaven, becoming one of us, living the perfect life, allowing himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified so that our relationship with God could be restored. And then Jesus comes back to life. And he says, hey, I want you to walk through this door. I'm opening this door. I'm inviting you to come in. In fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way into God's family. I am the way into a new life. And in this new life, you can have a new record because you're completely forgiven. You can have a new identity because you're adopted into God's family. You can have a new potential because now the Holy Spirit lives in you and enables you to do things you could never do before. So what's the first tool that God uses to change us? Truth. What's the second tool? Holy Spirit. And now here is the... The next tool that God uses, circumstances. Circumstances. Here's a verse that is familiar to many people who have read the Bible, Romans 8, 28. And this actually includes part of the next verse, verse 29. And it says this, and, and church, we're going to walk through this phrase by phrase because understanding this verse is so important when it comes to how change actually happens in our lives. So it starts out by saying, we know. We know. Let me just read it, and then we'll go through it phrase by phrase. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. So think about this. Our hope when life is really hard is not based on wishful thinking. It's not just, oh, I'm just going to see the glasses half full. Our hope when life is hard is what we know. 
We know that there's a God who loves us. We know there's a God who's in charge of our lives. We know, and the next phrase, that God causes. We know that God causes. See, your life is not controlled by fate, by luck, by chance, by your horoscope. It's not controlled by the choices of other people, even though those choices influence your life. Your life is controlled by God. We know that God causes, and what's the next word? Everything. What does that include? Yeah, exactly. Everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, your successes, your failures. It, it includes, you know, illness and divorce and, and debt and just all the stuff that happens to us. And then it says this, God causes everything to work together. To work together. See, the things that happen in your life are not some random events. There is a grand designer of the universe and a grand designer of your life. I was thinking this week, how many of you have ever baked a cake? How many of you have watched somebody bake a cake? How many of you have eaten a cake? All right, there we go. Okay, now you're with me. All right. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my mom baked a lot of stuff, and I would always want to taste the ingredients. And she would say, okay. Have any of you ever tasted vanilla extract? Yuck. It's terrible. Or what about this, raw eggs? Unless you're Rocky, right? <laughs> Some of the individual ingredients taste terrible, but when you put them together, what happens? You get a really tasty cake. You know, in a, a similar way, God can cause everything to work together for the good, and notice this, for the good. And here's the reality. Is everything in life good? No, absolutely not. I mean, so many things are not the way they're supposed to be, but God can cause everything to work together for the good of those, notice this, who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And what is that purpose? For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. And imagine this. Imagine what it would be like if you woke up tomorrow morning and you were completely like Jesus. Isn't that a crazy thought? Man. Yeah, pretty crazy, but... What would that look like? I mean, that's an amazing thing. This is where God's taking us as his people. He's conforming us to the image of his son. We would have this peace that was unshakable, this, this joy. We would have this love for people that were like, man, I cannot believe that I'm so patient, that I'm so kind, because now I am like Jesus. I am not anxious about anything. I'm not fearful. See, this is where God is taking us. Now, here's the thing. We talked about change being God's part and our part. So what is our part specifically? What are some choices that we have to make to actually become the person that God made us to be? Well, here's the first choice, and this is so very important. You must choose what to what? What to think. You have to choose what to think. The Bible says this in the book of Philippians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And of course, Paul is saying this is really, really important. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let me ask you this. How many of you battled a temptation this week? How many of you, let me ask it again. How many of you battled a temptation? Man, maybe you don't need to change as much as I thought. <laughs> okay. How many of you lost the battle to the temptation? And listen, you can raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you the specifics, okay? <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. Now, where does the battle take place when you're tempted? 
Exactly, in your mind. And if you want to change, if you want to grow and become the person that God made you to be, it involves a battlefield of the mind. And consider this. Can you think thoughts that will discourage you? Oh, yeah. I do it all the time. Conversely, can you think thoughts that encourage you? Yeah, I try to do that as well. Can you think thoughts that make you feel sorry for yourself? So you feel like you are? Don't worry about me. Nobody ever does. Right? Can you think thoughts that remind you of God's goodness and God's grace and God's love? Can you think thoughts like that? Yeah, see, we get to choose what we're going to think about. And so here's the key. Uh, We have to reject the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, even the lies we tell ourselves, and replace those lies with God's what? What's the first tool? God's truth. God's truth. And let me say this. If you have a discouraging thought, realize this. It's not coming from God. Do you realize that? It might be coming from yourself or another person or from the enemy, the spiritual enemy that we have. It's not coming from God because God always wants to encourage you. And consider this. Think about Jesus. Um, Did Jesus face temptations? Well, absolutely. Did he ever lose the battle? Not one time. Now, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, I think about when he was tempted. He's going to carry out his mission to be our Messiah. And he's been in the desert for 40 days. and, And he faces these temptations from Satan himself. And how does Jesus respond? Does he try to argue with the devil? No. No. And, and we shouldn't either because, listen, the devil's had thousands of years to really get good at arguing, <clears throat> and you will probably lose, no doubt. So how does Jesus respond? He responds with the truth of God's word. He responds with Scripture. And that is so important for us. That's why, church family, I'm always encouraging you to not just read the verses in this book, but to commit them to memory, to make them part of the way that you think. And I remember um, quite a few years ago, I started writing Bible verses on three-by-five cards. And I've now got a giant stack of three-by-five cards, and I have to go back and remember them because, you know, your brain just loses cells and you have to, you know, relearn things. But one of the things that really propelled me in that direction is um, before I was ever a pastor, when I worked on the fire department, um, I would be driving to work, and I would start getting anxious just thinking about being on duty. And I knew that, you know, we were going to have these 911 calls, and, and there's no telling what we're going to experience or, you know, be faced with. And then when I became an officer, I was getting promoted. It wasn't just that I had to worry about myself. I had to worry about the welfare of my crew and other people. And I thought, I have really got to find a way to deal with my anxiety. And I remember uh, the pastor um, that was talking to me. He said, hey, man, you need to use God's word. You need to look up a whole bunch of verses on anxiety and memorize them. And then when you start feeling anxious, just say them to yourself. And I thought, okay, it can't hurt. And that's what I did. And I still remember some of those verses. One of the first verses I memorized was Isaiah 41.10. And God's talking to his people in the Old Testament. He says, do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I would be in the rescue truck, going to a rescue call, saying that to myself. Hey, God says, do not fear, for I'm with you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to uphold you. And see, that changes everything, doesn't it? And so we have got to be able to choose the things that we think. And right now, it's been um, a really fun adventure. I'm trying hard to learn Spanish. 
And I thought, well, one of the ways to do that is to learn Bible verses in Spanish because that way I can share them with people, you know, when I travel or right here in South Florida all the time. Um, but there's a verse that I memorized, and it's this. Puedo hacer todas las cosas en Cristo que me fortalece. I can do all things through Christ who gives me what? Strength, who gives me power. And that's the next thing. If you're going to change, you have to depend on God's power. You have to depend on God's power. And here's that verse again. For I can do. You talk about the ultimate can-do attitude. Here it is. I can do everything through Christ, everything God calls me to do, because Jesus gives me what? He gives me strength. He gives me power. Think about this. Um, I picked up this, this can this morning. This is um, black cherry seltzer water. <laughs> I was thinking about this. If you take this can and you um, decided that you were going to take it underwater and you went five feet underwater, ten feet underwater, twenty feet, what eventually would happen to this can as you keep going? What's going to happen to the can? Who knows? It's not an explode. It's going to what? It's going to implode. Why is that? Because the pressure outside is greater than the pressure inside. Do you ever feel like a can of soda? <laughs> I mean, really, when you think about it, right? You just keep going deeper into pressures and problems in your life, and you feel like, man, if something doesn't happen, I'm going to get crushed. So what's the solution? You need a power inside you that's greater than the pressure outside you. Common sense, right? Where does that come from? It comes from God. See, God can fill us with his power through the presence of his spirit, but how do you connect with God's power? And here's the answer, through prayer. Through prayer. Remember one time, um, Chris and I went to the zoo. This was down in South Miami because we love going to the zoo. Um, it's one of our favorite things to do because there's so many amazing animals, you know, God's created, and we just really appreciate all the diversity. And, of course, um, if the zoo is crowded, there's a lot of human diversity because God made a lot of interesting people as well. Great place, right? And so we're at the zoo in South Miami, and there's this guy, and he has this, like, um, hat on that looks like a, a beach umbrella and a little spritzer, right? And this guy's huge. I mean, he's like a bodybuilder. And he turns around, and he's got a T-shirt on, and, and you couldn't miss the message. The T-shirt said this, much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power. And I thought, you know, that's, that's quite a paradox when you think about it. Here's this guy that obviously has all this physical strength, but he knows the secret of where true strength lies. It's connecting to God through prayer. So let me ask you this. How can you tell how much you're depending on God's power rather than your own? And here's really a pretty straightforward answer. Look at your prayer life. Seriously. Because the degree to which you pray is the degree to which you're depending on God. Much prayer, much what? Much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. And church family, I was thinking, as I was listening to this documentary, and it had to do with addictions, and it was talking about the you know, state of um, our culture in America and how people are addicted to so many different things. It was talking about people being addicted to opioids and addicted to alcohol and people struggling with sexual addictions. I mean, what is the ultimate answer? It's the power of God, isn't it? 
Really? The power of God unleashed in our lives? I know this is a complicated issue. There's medical interventions. There's you know, counseling. There's all these components. But the bottom line is that we need a power greater than ourselves because Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It'll set you free. And, and I remember I've had um, conversations with people that were asking for help because they're dealing with addictions. And there was this, this man who was just being really honest, and he said, hey, um, Pastor Dudley, I just, I need to tell you, I'm just addicted to pornography. And you know what? That's a common story in our culture, really common. And, and I said, well, okay, um, what do you want to do? He said, I want to overcome it. I want to resist the temptation, but I need a, a strategy. And we talked about it. We talked about some practical things that, you know, there are patterns of temptation and patterns of behavior that need to be changed and reversed. You know, there's accountability that you can have with another person. There's, you know, filters you can put on your computer, all of these things. But this guy was at a breaking point because he, he knew that he was going to lose his marriage. He felt like he was going to lose his faith, that he was going to lose his, his mind if something didn't change. And I said, listen, here's the bottom line. You need God's power. Because God's power is the greatest power on this planet, and God's power is made known in his love. Because that's what the Bible says, God is love, and it says this, that we love because he first loved us. And so this love relationship that God has with his people is the strongest force that we can possibly encounter. And I said this to this, this man, and I've said it to other people, when your love for Jesus is greater than your love for your sin, that's when you'll have the victory. That's a tipping point. But here's the thing. Who can give you that kind of love? God can. And so we have to come to him again and again and ask because we just looked at the Bible verse. It says God is at work in you, giving you the desire and the ability to live a life that pleases him. So if you want to change, what's the first thing you have to do? Choose what to think. Secondly, depend on God's power. And here's the last thing. You must respond to circumstances like who? Like Jesus, like Jesus. And here's a beautiful verse. This is from Hebrews. It says, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this, how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. We have to continually say, hey, Jesus, what would you have me do? What should I be thinking if I'm going to think like you? What should I be saying if I'm going to talk like you, if I'm going to walk like you? We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And, and listen, church, this is really important. Circumstances by themselves don't make you a better person. They don't make you a more godly person. They don't make you more like Jesus. How you respond to circumstances accomplish that. So let me real quickly point out three ways that we can respond to circumstances as we follow in Jesus' footsteps. Here's the first. Remember that God has a purpose for your pain. Because Jesus always remembered that. In fact, in this passage in Hebrews, it says this, that, that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus knew that his suffering was going to accomplish something really, really important. Our rescue. And because of that, he was able to push through the pain. He was able to have hope. And that's true for us too. I remember talking with a dad. This is a number of years ago. His son had died, and his son was in his 20s. In fact, his son had been murdered. And so we were planning the funeral service, and he said, he said, Pastor Dudley, how could God possibly bring anything good out of this tragedy? And as I sat there in his living room, I just prayed and I said, God, help me. I need to give him some hope and some comfort. And in that moment, I thought, well, 
there's another father who knows exactly what he's going through, right? Because his son was killed. And I shared that thought with him, that God understands the pain in your heart. But because God is in charge of Jesus' life, and because God's in charge of your son's life, what the Bible says is true, that God can bring something good out of a tragic situation. And you see, that's how we, we need to respond to life, especially when life is so hard. Because Jesus believed that his father had a purpose for every problem. Now, here's another way that we can respond like Jesus, no matter what we face. Are you ready? Give thanks. Now, that seems, you know, okay, I, I get it. Okay, I'm supposed to be thankful. The Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. But in the circumstance, you can be grateful. And again, I think about Jesus. Okay, if I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus, you know, what does he do when he's in a really tough situation. Well, think about this. Think about the night before he goes to the cross. You know, every month we have a communion service, and I actually read verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. Here, here's an amazing thought. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that he's going to be hit by a tsunami of suffering, and what does he do? gives thanks. What could he possibly be thankful for? Because, I mean, the, the, the circumstances are terrible. But Jesus knows this, that his life is in his Father's hands. And so despite all evidence to the contrary, he's able to give thanks. Do you see what that means for us? Because there are times when I look at my life or I look at the lives of people that I love and it looks like there is nothing good that could possibly come out of this. But then I remember Jesus, that despite all evidence to the contrary, he chooses to give thanks because he knows, he knows that his life was in his Father's hands. And that's true for every single one of us. No matter what you're going through, God's got you right in the palm of his hand. And here's, here's one final thing when it comes to you know, keeping our eyes on Jesus. We need to believe that God has a purpose for our pain. We need to give thanks. But here's something else from the life of Jesus. When life is hard, refuse to give up. Refuse to give up. It says that Jesus endured the cross. He, he dies. He's buried. But thank God, that's not the end of the story, is it? He roars back to life. He ascends into heaven. He sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finishes his mission. And listen, if you're going through a tough time this morning, I just want to encourage you with this, this statement, and I think it really comes from God's heart through me to you, and here it is. Don't give up. Look up. And keep your eyes on Jesus. And church family, I was thinking about how to land the plane this morning. Um, how to end this message. And it occurred to me that, you know, it's, it's easy to stand up here and say, here's all the things you need to do to change. Just one, two, three, one, two, three. That'll be okay. Is that true? No, it's really hard to change. It is, isn't it? And the question is, why? Why is it so hard? And let me just encourage you by pointing out three reasons it's so stinking hard to change. And here's the first, because we are slow learners. We are. But we're not alone. You think about the stories that God put in his book, the stories of Israel. Did they learn the lesson God wanted them to know the first time? No. 
God says, look, I'm going I'm to set you free from slavery in Egypt and I'll provide everything you need and I'll take care of you. Just trust me. And they would not trust God. Another lap around the desert, you know. And, and God would repeat these lessons over and over again. Has he ever done that to you? Man, he's done it to me. Lessons are repeated until learned. Okay, I'm really going to try to learn it this time, God. But here's something else. It's not just that we're slow learners. We have a lot to unlearn. We have a lot to unlearn. Um, I was talking about the, the zoo. You know, one of my favorite animals is the elephant. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Elephants are really cool. But you think about seeing a giant elephant, and he's just standing there, and so often um, they will have this, this rope tied around, you know, the, the elephant's foot, and this little stake in the ground, and you think, man, he could pull that out so easily. You know, he, he doesn't even try. Why is that? Well, because when he was a little elephant and he wasn't so big and strong, they used that same stake and that same rope and he would pull and pull and pull and he couldn't get free. And eventually, he quit trying. And what he believed is, no matter how hard I pull, nothing's going to change. Does that ever happen to us? Absolutely. And so as you look at your life, there are so many things that need to be unlearned. There are patterns of thinking and patterns of behavior that need to be replaced with new thoughts and new patterns of behavior. So don't be discouraged. It takes time. How long does it take to grow a mushroom? Overnight. What about an oak tree? Years. God's growing an oak tree. It's going to take some time. <clears throat> and here's the last thing, and I think this is, this is so important. Fear. One of the reasons that it's hard to change is we're afraid to change. And here's the reason that that is often the case. So often, we define ourselves by our defects. And here's what I mean. Sometimes, as we look in the mirror, we say to ourselves, well, you know, I've been through a lot. I'm just a wounded person. Or... You know, people have really hurt me, and I've become an angry person. I've become a lonely person. I've become a selfish person. And the list goes on and on. But here's God's truth. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, new things have come. And so, church family this morning, I hope that you'll really be encouraged because God wants to change you and God wants to change me and God wants to change our church family and if I could say one thing to encourage you it would echo something I shared last Sunday at our celebration service because I believe this with all my heart and this echoes the words of the Apostle Paul I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you and you and you and me he will carry it on to completion until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for this truth that really does transform us. And Lord, I, I pray this morning that that truth would go deep into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that it would change the way, the way that we think and it would change our emotions and it would change our behavior. Um, Lord, I, I pray this morning too for the person who if they're honest, realizes, yeah, there's this door to a new me, but I've never walked through it because I've never given my life to Jesus. Listen, if that's you this morning, you can simply say, God, I need you. 
I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and I understand that his name is Jesus, that he died for my sins, that he came back to life, and I want to follow him. And listen, every time, every time that somebody genuinely prays that prayer, God will run to rescue you. And Father, we're so thankful that's true. We're so thankful that you never stop working in us, and we're so thankful that you continue to work through us. And I pray this morning, God, that we would understand that the most powerful force in this universe is your love. And I pray, Lord, that we would build our lives on that one sure foundation, that you would change us so that we more and more love you with all of our heart, and we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And God, we trust you to do this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, can we stand and sing our closing song together?